You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. All right. And uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, and encourage you to have your Bibles out, to have notebook, have paper handy, kids, that you have your journals or you have sheets of paper so you can be following along as well. I believe that in our lifetime, in our lifetime, whether you're 90 years old or whether you're nine years old, prayer, God's word, the church of Jesus Christ, and the relationship that we can have personally with Jesus Christ, with God the Father, through Jesus, that, that these elements have never been more essential as they are today. I believe that the church of Jesus Christ, the word of God and prayer are essential services for God's people. It's so clear. And, 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 and that's why we are doing online church. That's why we're doing in-person churches. That's why we're renting various facilities on Sundays and through the week, through the week, so that there's groups, small groups that are gathering so that people can meet together, as well as involvements and connections through Zoom and, and other various ways as well. And starting this Thursday, we have this prayer group even that will be taking place, teaching from the Word of God and then putting that into action so that we can grow in our intimacy, in our knowledge of prayer, but our, our, our action in prayer and, and finding intimacy personally as groups it, gather in our church that they would be strengthened, our church as a whole would be strengthened to be a greater praying church. And at Hope Church, we take these things very seriously. We take God's word very seriously and we are so concerned because we are seeing God's word being attacked from the outside. The outside world is attacking the church from critics, from culture, from media, and, and including Hollywood. And, and we just see these attacks that are happening. And, but it's also, we're being attacked from within in the church of Jesus Christ. Attacks through complacency and compromise, through false teaching and the theological and spiritual drift that can easily and so quickly happen. Um, theological uh, drift that, that, that takes place, it, it can happen to, to any one of us, to, to, to our church, if we do not stay on target with what we're talking about. This past week, Pope Francis of the Roman Catholic Church joined other mainline churches in backing and voiced his favor in legalizing same-sex civil unions. But this shift isn't just happening in mainline churches, it's also happening in evangelical churches. And I believe this serves, once again, as a great wake-up call, a great wake-up call to each one of us, to our church, that we would watch our lives and our doctrine closely. The Apostle Paul, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, he said, for the time is coming, and folks, this time is here. It's not just coming, this time is here, when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and they will turn away from listening to truth and wander off into myths. That day is happening. And today we are seeing society is corrupted and the church is confused. I'll say that again. Society is corrupted and the church is confused. And, and really, the root of the confusion for God's people goes back to the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3. What did the serpent say to Adam and Eve? And, and what he said to them then is what he is doing to God's people that he is doing to the church today. And this is the question he asks. Did God really say? Did God really say that? 
And then he follows it up with a second wave or a second question. And the serpent comes to God's people and says, well, yes, that's what God said, but that's not what he meant. Here's what he meant. And one area that the church is being thrown into confusion is in the area of marriages. Scripture verses that that have to do with marriage. God's word is being thrown into confusion regarding roles, responsibilities, even who can get married. But God's word is so clear. It's about men and women, husband and wives, and their roles and responsibilities within the home and even in the church. We see so much confusion, all this gender confusion going on, but God's word is very clear. But we're the ones that are making it all, all foggy. And, and it causes people to ask, well, did God really say that? And when you can't deny that it says that in God's word, then they go on to say, yeah, he did say that, but that's not what he meant. And you see, get the church soft in this area, in the area of marriage, in the area of gender, in the area of roles and responsibilities, then the next generation is lost in full-out apostasy. And so just get the church soft. Just get them compromising. And folks, today, I need to declare, marriage is ordained by God. It is God's institution. It's about two people becoming one flesh. And God has established roles, and he has set the parameters in marriage. One man, one woman, one lifetime. End of story. That's God's plan. That's God's desire. And on the screen are some key passages when it comes to marriages. And, and encourage you to write those down, do a screenshot, go up to your TV, take a picture of that. Make sure you get these. These are just some of the verses in God's word, some of the passages about marriage. There's others, but these are some really key ones, including the ones we're talking about today, as well as another key one in Ephesians chapter 5. So that will stay up for a few moments so you can get those references, but write them down. You see, marriage is so much more than a love story between a man and a woman. It's more than a ring and a date. It's more than candles, a white dress, wedding attendance, gifts, eating food on someone else's dime, eating a good meal, we hope, on someone else's dime, followed by a honeymoon, and they all lived happily ever after. Marriage is more than that. Marriage is more than a piece of paper. It's more than a certificate. Marriage is more than a day. It is more than a lifetime together. It's deeper than that. Marriage is God's given institution where he defines the roles for the husband and wife. And when we marry, we take on a title. And that title, it actually means something. It isn't just the husband. It just isn't the wife. There's something deeper and greater to that. We are entering into a role that has its origin in God, in God himself. And when we take a title that has been bestowed by God, and he clearly defines that role, that title in his word, we are then to take that and we are to grow in it, we are to follow it, we are to obey And we are to excel in that role, in that title that he's given to us. It's not me, it's not like I got me a wife and now I can just do what I want. You see, being a husband, being a wife is more than being a male part of the marriage and a female part of the marriage. It is a calling that God has given us to find roles, responsibilities, and positions. And it is something we are to grow in and we are to fulfill. Now marriage has its blessings and it has its challenges. Right from the honeymoon on, and you might say, well, it starts even before the honeymoon. It starts even before the wedding date. It has its blessings, 
It has its challenges. There's been a number of times where people who I've married, shortly after, like day after, within hours of getting home from their honeymoon, have been calling me and like, help, help, we don't know what to do. It has its blessings, it has its challenges. And, and for each one, in the early years of marriage, there's the blessings and challenges. When the kids come along, same thing. When the, when the kids become teenagers, there's the blessings, there's the challenges. When they, when they leave and you're empty nesters, blessings and challenges. When they come back from, from, from taking off and, and they're back in the nest, blessings and challenges. And the problem is it is so easy to neglect, so easy to coast in marriage where couples can kind of end up almost living separate lives under the same roof. That is not God's plan. That is not God's desire. And usually, that sort of thing, when that happens, when a marriage is not growing, when a marriage is not honoring God in the roles and the responsibilities that he outlines, it's usually a recipe for disaster and great unhappiness. But yet we don't quit. We don't give up because Christ doesn't quit or give up on us. You see, the husband and the wife are a picture they are a beautiful picture. They represent the union of the relationship between Christ and the church. Now, it is a mystery, uh, and, and uh, Paul says that in Ephesians 5, that, that marriage is a mystery, and it, it's not talking about a wife, even though sometimes your wife can seem like a mystery, or your husband seems like a mystery, you can't figure them out. Well, the union of, mar- of marriage is, is also a mystery that we cannot fully understand and comprehend, but yet the the mystery of marriage and the beauty of marriage is that we represent as a husband and a wife the union and the relationship between Christ and the church. Now the husband, he loves and he sacrif- his love and his sacrifice in marriage is to mirror, now not perfectly because no one has, but is to mirror progressively the love, the sacrifice that Jesus had for us, for the church. And the wife Her role, her responsibility in this is to mirror the love and the submission that the church has for Christ. And so we have this beautiful picture. And when you have sacrifice and you have submission, working in humility and in dependency upon God, you have a biblical, God-honoring marriage. And it declares Christ in a powerful way to your children, to your family, to a watching and a confused and a very broken world, we can be proclaimers of Christ. Now, in 1 Peter chapter 3, it's an important passage when it comes to marriage. Last week, we looked at the first six verses, 1 Peter 3, verses 1 to 6, where there were the six verses for instructions to wives. This week, our text is 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. It's one verse. Wives get six verses, the husbands get one verse. Now, there's all kinds, I read this week, all kinds of different conjecture as to why there are six verses for women and one verse for men. Could it be that women just like more words? Some would say they need more words. Um, Some would say, well, men just need it straight up, short and to the point, let's get to it. And, and even though there may be just one verse for men and six for women to explain their roles and, and what Peter has to say, this one verse is very pointed and very direct. Let's read it here. Follow along. 1 Peter 3, 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, we encourage you every week, open your Bible, take notes, 
follow along, write down the references, and then study the Word of God later on in the day, later on in the week. And some of our groups that meet during the week are actually doing a, a, a series of questions based on the message each week. Basically, we're calling it be a Berean. Be studying and examining God's Word yourself. Don't trust me Trust the Word of God in this way, and so encourage you to be doing that and to be following along. And we want to encourage everyone to do this, even our kids. Last week, some parents sent me the sermon notes of what their kids wrote. Just take a quick look at at what they had to write here. We have it on the screen. Some incredible things here. I, I hope I can can read this to you, and, and, and some of them, it's a little fuzzy for me, but but you look at point number two. Wives sometimes have to correct their spouse while still being kind and loving and gentle and loving. Um, point number three they, they came up with. Weren't my points, their points. But it says, never say, I told you so to your spouse. Point number four, go for godliness, not glamorous. And then they came up with their own point number five. We didn't have five points. It says, women do not need Botox, people. Anyways, when I saw that, I just laughed. I said, i got to share that with you. And, and so we have kind of a neat way here that, that kids can, can follow along when it comes to God's Word. Now, we want to encourage every one of you to be doing this. And men, if you're not normally a note-taker, this would be a good Sunday to do it, okay? At least pretend to be taking notes um, because much of what we're talking about is geared to us, okay? And, and the, there's important truths for everyone today, but especially for men. And you know what? Though Charlotte and I have been married for 26 years, there has been a lot of conviction in studying this passage this past week. Things as I've been studying it, um, and, and, and it just reiterates to me how I can never, how we can never as a couple ever stop learning, growing, repenting in our pursuit of Christ in our marriages, in, in, in my marriage, in your marriage. Now, sadly, in society, and especially in, in Hollywood, it seems like men are kind of made out to look like beer-drinking buffoons who just sit on the couch, watch the game, belch and fart. And sadly, some can live that up quite well. Men, we have a higher calling than that, though. Yes, it is to provide. Yes, it is to protect. And yes, there are times where you can sit on the couch and, well, whatever. Um, and, and yet, but there's so much of a greater calling than that in, in our lives and for us as husbands. And from verse one, or from this one verse, we can see some important things. And there is hope for marriage. There's living hope because Christ is alive, but there is hope for marriage when husbands, first of all, Imitate Christ. Write that down. Imitate Christ. And look at what we see right away. It says likewise. Look at the word likewise at the start of uh, of verse 7. The word likewise there draws us back actually to 1 Peter 2 verse 13. And we have that on the screen uh, for you where it says, Be subject to the Lord's sake to every human institution. So this word likewise takes us back to this start of this section on submission. And, and Peter is telling us that one of the greatest ways that we can live to glorify God and one of the greatest ways that we can fulfill God's mission on this earth as proclaimers for Christ are to be people to, who are living a life of submission. 
the way that we can proclaim Christ to a lost and a broken, headed to hell world is going to happen through our submission. And we say in chapter 2, verse 14, and we studied that a number of weeks ago, that we are called to a life of submission when it comes to our governing authorities. Then the next week we looked at to our employers that we submit to their authority. And then also last week for wives in marriage and now for husbands. We are all to be living lives of submission to those in authority over us and the ultimate authority that we have is God's word and so we come under that authority and we submit to it now the ultimate expression of submission is Jesus Christ now it's very easy and and it's very common oftentimes to especially as men and probably ladies do it too I can't speak for you but it's oftentimes very easy for us to compare ourselves to others and say well at least I'm not like that guy. That guy is such a loser. Or, man, at least my marriage is better than that marriage. And no, we don't compare ourselves to others. We are to compare. Our, Christ is our example. He is the standard of love, of sacrifice. How he came to this earth, submitting himself, living a life of submission to the Father's will. And how he came to this earth and he loved and he pursued and he served and he suffered. And ultimately he died on the cross for our sins so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be saved. And he did this even though we were so undeserving. He did this for us. And so men, it's not about comparing ourselves to Christ. We will never reach perfection, but it's about progress. And he promises, our God promises, to come near to the humble of heart. Come near to the one who is dependent upon him. And so we must learn to imitate Christ. He is our example. He is who we follow in this. And this is why we do this. And second of all, we see there's hope for, uh, for, for marriage when husbands, second of all, learn your wife. Men, we are, we are supposed to learn our wives. Look at what it says. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Now, this is more than just being courteous. This is more than just being just opening doors and, and carrying in the groceries. This is more than just telling her, you know, kind things like, oh, honey, don't worry about doing the dishes tonight. Don't worry about doing them tonight. You can do them in the morning. No, it, it, it's so much more than that, that sort of a thing. It's more than just being roommates or partners or business associates. In, in fact, some translations of this say, dwell with her according to knowledge. This is about truly living and knowing your wife. Open ears and a wide heart. Walking in humility and grace. It means we are to study our wives, knowing her strengths, her weaknesses, knowing what she loves, what inspires her, what drains her, what frustrates her, what blesses her, what motivates her. And the word understanding here, or in some translations, the word knowledge, is from the Greek word gnosis, which means knowledge by experience. And it's also the tense, the form of this verb, the, the, the verb tense here, is that this is to be an ongoing, persistent action. Keep on living with your wife in a, key, in a continual understanding way. It is to be ongoing in our lives. However, the reality is we're all very selfish. We're terminally selfish. And we can get so easily warped into thinking that God gave us wives to be our servant and then to offer some sort of a form of sexual expression. End of story. But here Jesus, just as he came to this earth and he walked with his bride, the church, 
And he sought to understand. He sought to know, to care, to love, to sacrifice. And we are to do the same. Again, Jesus did it perfectly. We won't do it perfectly. But that's why we fall on his mercy and his grace and repentance to our wives and to our God. And today, if you're not married, you might be thinking, oh, this really isn't for me. No, no, this is, this is something important for you to start putting into practice because one day you may be married. Be an understanding man to other women. Whether it's a sister or a sister in Christ, your mother, grandmother, other females, co-workers, neighbors, friends, practice and grow in this, in, in, in living and trying to understand the women that God has placed in your life. This is an important thing. Not just that starts for marriage, but can start to be put into practice even now. The third thing is protect your wife. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, Peter writes. As the weaker vessel, this is an important thing. But before we get into that, it says showing honor. We have to understand, what does this showing honor mean? Because this is a pretty loaded statement. Someone, you know, for some ladies listening or watching, you're like, what are you talking about here? This, you know, it's perked up and your blood pressure has gone up a little bit. Let me understand or explain to you what God's word says here. Showing honor means respect. It means to esteem highly. This word honor can also mean the word precious. It's where we also get the word princess from. And so we are to show preciousness to our wives, to the ones that God has placed in our lives for us. And, but notice, this is where he says, as the weaker vessel. Now, Peter is not saying here that, that men are strong and women are weak. That's not what he's saying here. Not at all. You can't read that into here. Because what we do know, and Peter says this in chapter 1, verse 24, we are all weak. And, and look at what chapter 1, 24 says. We have it there. All people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall. And so we're all weak. We're all fragile. The snow that started falling on Friday, amazing, all the leaves on the trees. And I went out in our backyard. I was taking a golf ball retriever and banging off some of the leaves or some of the, the, the snow off of the branches. But it's amazing how things in the garden just started shriveling up because it's our first real um, shot of frost that we've received. And it's just shriveling up. And again, all of a sudden, that life is just getting sucked out. We're all weak. We're all fragile. But here Peter refers to the wife as the weaker vessel. Now, he's not talking about being weak morally or spiritually, emotionally or intellectually, not at all. What he's referring to here is physically. He's referring to her, her physically. And let's face it, physically, women generally are weaker than men. It's, it's a matter of biology and genetics. Now, now there are some exceptions this is why it's good that I'm just preaching to a camera right now. Um, there are some women that I would not want to arm wrestle because I would lose because they're stronger than me. And then when I found out that Chrissy, who works at our church, enrolled in some sort of um, jiu-jitsu, tie-my, kickboxing or something like that, um, it, all of a sudden I became very careful to make sure I never tick her off because I, I don't want her to go all Cobra Kai on me or anything like that. And so, you know, you just got to be very careful. And yet men, even if you do have a wife that can take you, Thomas, that's probably in your case, in a wrestling match, uh, 
Maybe your wife is stronger than you, and that's okay. But yet God's word tells us that our wives deserve to be treated as precious, as fragile. And, and, and this word for, uh, in this understanding way and seeing her as precious and, and, and a weaker vessel, that word vessel is like a fine china, an expensive vase. That is how we as men ought to be thinking of our wives, how we are to be thinking of women and value them as something precious, not as weak, but as something valuable. Just like precious metals in their purest form are oftentimes soft and and can be damaged and can be marked easily, they are so precious. This is how we are to see and to understand our wives. And as we are going to see in, in, in a moment that wives are equal to men. They are equal in, in the fact that we are all image bearers of God in, in equality with men. They are equals, and yet, as we talked about last week, with different roles, different responsibilities, different physically, and yet we are seen equal in God's eyes. And so we are to honor with our words, with our attitudes and our actions, And not just words to her, but words in our heart, in what we think about her. We are to think well, and we are to to, to praise her, not only personally, but also within the inside of, of our being. And not just when other people are present. And here's something else. When either she's not present, or even if she is present, to be little, to be rude, to be nitpicking, to be complaining, especially to others, about your wife? That's not good. That's not honoring. Now, there may be times it's a counselor or a pastor that you're talking to or a close friend that you're seeking wise counsel from where you open up a little bit more. And that's okay. But we are to talk and to speak highly of our spouse. And men, we are to do that about our wives and wives about our, our husbands. And can I just say something else here? No wife, no kids should ever be made to feel unsafe because of a husband's actions or antics. That's just not right. That's just not fair. And that's not right before God. A wife can experience a sense of physical vulnerability that doesn't enter even into a man's thinking at all simply because of his size and strength. And so a husband should never, never, never use physical strength to intimidate, to produce fear, to hit, to strike, to push, to shove. Never. That should not happen. Man, that can never happen in your relationship with your wife. And can I say, that goes both ways. This goes both ways. A wife should never go after her husband with any sort of physical violence either. And, And that sort of thing does happen. And if that's happening, you need help. As an individual and as a couple, please let us know. Or find a a biblical counselor who can walk with you in that. We want to come alongside. We want to help and guide and where necessary, protect. But even verbally, you hear that old statement, sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never hurt me. That's a bunch of, that, that is not right. Words can hurt more than sticks and stones. And verbally, any sort of name calling, yelling, demeaning, one another, bringing up the past over and over, things that have been confessed, things that have been put under the blood of Christ. Who are you to dig that up and to keep bringing that up to your spouse? That is so hurtful and so damaging and so 
dishonoring to God. And if this is happening in your life, in your home, stop it. Repent of it. And please get help because this not ought not to happen. And fourthly, we see that as husbands, we are to treasure our wife. Look what it says, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. They are heirs with you in the grace of life. Now, in the Greco-Roman world, the time that this was being written, women were treated as a commodity. They were seen as having no or little value at all whatsoever. And Christianity, it's Christianity, biblical Christianity, that brought value and dignity and respect to women. And these commands would have been so revolutionary, so countercultural in the way that they saw women, saw women in the culture, the way that men saw their wives. And this elevated the wife, this elevated women into the place where God would so desire. And here God's word says to men and to husbands that they are both co-heirs in the grace of life. Since they are heirs with you men, we are co-heirs together. They will share the inheritance that is in Christ. The inheritance that Peter described in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, where he says an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Here's what John Piper had to say. John Piper said, husbands, love your wife. Or, or husbands, your wife is not your cook, maid, or personal babysitter. She is your wife, an heir of this world and a future queen of the universe. That is who she is. And one day we will stand before God, men, husbands, and give an account for how we loved and we led our wives. And you know, this verse ends with quite a sobering warning. And here's the warning that goes with it. Refuse this and God will refuse you. Look what it says, that your prayers may not be hindered. Refuse what we've been talking about and God will refuse you. You see, God puts such a high value on how we treat and honor our wives that if we refuse to do this, God will refuse us. He won't listen. He won't answer our prayers. That our prayers and our spiritual lives will be affected and will be impacted if we are not honoring our wives in the way that we have, been, the way that we have seen here today. Now, let's just say this, total fiction, made-up story. Well, it better be. Let's say my daughter gets married to some guy. Um, the friend boy goes on to become the boyfriend, goes on to become the fiancé, and then the husband. And I find out that once they are married, and I find out that he treats her terribly. He's not loving her properly. He's not respecting or honoring her. In fact, he's treating her very poorly. And then, and then he has the tenacity to call me and he gets on the phone and he says, hey, dad. And I go, I beg your pardon? Dad? You're calling me dad? Hey, can I come on over and watch the game with you? Can I borrow your truck? Can I borrow some money? Can you help me? I'm in a bit of a tough spot here. You know, like, come on, dad, would you be able to help me out with this? What do you think I'm going to say to him? I don't think so, buddy. That's not going to happen. You may be my son-in-law, but you are not good or you are not in a good place or you are not fulfilling what you ought to be doing. And in the way that you're treating my daughter, this isn't going to happen. 
We're not going to have relationship happening here. And here is what God's word is effectively saying. If Christianity doesn't work at home, it doesn't work at all. If Christianity is not working in the way that we have seen here last Sunday and this Sunday, when it comes to wives, when it comes to husbands, if it doesn't work at home, it doesn't work at all. We're playing a game. It's a facade. You see, sin unconfessed towards God and others results in our prayers just bouncing off the walls and the ceilings like a pong game. I think you see here. This is what happens. This is what our prayer life is like. This is us shouting out some prayers to God and our prayers are just bouncing around the room. That's it. You see, our prayers are hindered. Our prayers are hindered when there's sin when we're not honoring and living for God in the way that we ought to be. Our spiritual life is cut off from God. There's no power, there's no joy, there's no strength. Yes, he may be our father, but we are disobedient children. And the only prayer that God is able to hear in this kind of condition, in this state, are prayers of confession and repentance. And so men, today, this week, we need to be examining our hearts, our attitudes, and our actions let God's word speak over us. We've got some great men in this church. Older men, younger men. We're so blessed by men who have a heart and a desire and a passion for God and want to learn and grow. This is something we need to learn and grow in together. Men and husbands encourage you this week to look for ways to care, to love, to serve out of joy, not begrudging your wife. Look for ways to be a blessing to her. Look how, how Christ loved and served and cared and is so patient with you, how he's so patient with me. We ought to do the same for our wives as Christ loved the church, as he sacrificed and was so patient and so loving. We are to do the same. Think of ways that you can bless her this week, giving her gifts. Maybe it's a gift of time. Maybe it's a gift of time with you. or Maybe it's not, not with you at all. Maybe it's just being away from you and for the kids for a little bit, and that could be a precious gift that you could give to her. For some, one of the triggers in love language can be flowers. I like what one wife said, and this is kind of more the camp my wife would be in, that Charlotte would be in, is that flowers don't clean up the kitchen, buddy. And, 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 and it's just be practical. Look for practical ways to love and to honor and to cherish and to grow in your marriage relationship. And no matter where you're at today, whether you have a great marriage, a good marriage, a blah marriage, an awful marriage, or a disastrous marriage, there is hope. <laughs> Not because of you, but because of Christ. There is no hope found in our inner strength and in our inner resources, but it's all because of Christ and because of God's instructions that we've been looking at these last, few, last two weeks produce life, life-giving hope and joy in a marriage. Last week, we were preaching to wives specifically, this week to men. And I'm sure we've all taken notes, especially on one another. I'm sure some of the ladies were writing fast and furious today. Some of you men are recalling some of the things from last week's sermon. We know each other's roles perhaps better than, our, than ourselves, but it's more important that you know and learn yours. And maybe you're sitting there today and you're thinking, well, I'll submit when he starts loving me like Christ loved the church. And maybe you're sitting there, wife, and you're thinking, I'll love and, sacrifice, I'll love and submit to him when he loves and sacrifices for me. 
and it's, it's, it's just going back and forth. I'll, I'll love and respect her when she submits to me. It, she's so stubborn or he's so thick-headed and it just goes back and forth. And God says, would someone please give me their obedience and watch what I'll do? Now, there's no guarantee that when you give God your obedience in this that your spouse will do it. I trust that, that, that your spouse will. And even if you do, there's no guarantee that it will be an instant or a quick 36-hour turnaround. It's going to take time. But when you give God your obedience, and even if your spouse does not, knowing that you are right with God and you are walking in a deepening relationship in Him, calling out to God to change and to work in your heart continually as well as your spouse, that is a rich treasure and He will sustain you. And when both husband and wife give their obedience to God in this area, just watch what God will do. Just ask you to bow your heads right now. Perhaps today in life or in your marriage, you just kind of feel like, man, I'm just a big, fat failure. Folks, we are all weak. We're all frail, and at times we're all, we have all been, or we all are, even some of us, even right now, we feel pathetic. But whatever the circumstances we are facing, you need to know that Jesus died for this. He died so that we might have his grace, his forgiveness of sin, and his power, his presence in our lives. We can't do anything. We can't do anything that is significant, that we can't do anything to transform or to change the other person. It can only be the power of God. May we fall on and run to God's grace in surrender, in brokenness, in humility, because there's hope. Let's pray. God, just we understand that we are in a spiritual battle. There is a great spiritual warfare, especially for Christian marriages. They're under attack in incredible ways. But we know that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world, and that you have given us the spiritual armor to stand in, in strength to the attacks that come, but it, but, but it doesn't do any good if we're not right on the inside. And God, I pray that we would, each one of us, we would be examining ourselves today and this week. Would we find this to be a new day, a new day that has been made possible because of seeking you in repentance, in forgiveness of, towards you as well as where necessary to our spouse. And God, it is only you that can melt the heart of stone. It is only you that can take the stain of our sin and wash us and, and cleanse us, forgiven all because of Jesus Christ. And so we cry out to you now, and even in our worship, God, would we cry out to you for the victory and for the power and the strength that we find because, Jesus, you came and you, to pay it all for us. But, oh, how we need you in our lives. And so, God, would we just call out to you for your mercy, for your grace, for your strength this day, we pray in Jesus' name.